Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Well, good afternoon. Welcome to the call. Great to be here with you. This is the show. We cover 10 stocks in detail. Buy, hold, or sell on the day with my two expert guests all in the course of an hour. It's May the 30th, a Tuesday. And very pleased to welcome to today's show Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool and Luke Winchester from Meriwether Capital. I've never had this particular combo before, I don't think. So it should be fun, should be interesting for me. Um, Luke, look, we're getting a lot of little updates coming through from some in the small cap space. What is your sense as we head closer and closer to reporting season? Uh, my sense is that you're starting to see the first cracks in the more discretionary parts of the market. Um, and sorry, hi Nadine, I forgot to, Hello. to say that. Um, <laughs> you're starting to see a few cracks appear in that more discretionary side of the market. So last week I was on talking about, uh, I think Best and Less, uh, Universal Stores, uh, a Logio Group in the travel space, uh, HT1 here, there, and everywhere in the media, outdoor advertising, radio. They're those sectors that we've been waiting to see the cracks appear for a long time and and now you're starting to see it the more industrial sides of the market are holding up quite well and and to be fair those businesses that are performing well fundamentally are also seeing some good share price support so to me it says that you know despite sentiment overall being quite weak in the the smaller micro end of the market and liquidity as well those businesses that are doing okay are still getting the support of the market so i think focusing on the fundamentals is really important right now and finding those businesses that are continue continuing to perform even as the cycle may start to have a few cracks starting to appear yeah you've got to do your work don't you scott scott um phillips from the motley fool you can't rest on your laurels this is the time is it the time to be active oh are you on mute scott should be there. Well, maybe we'll get back to you in a tick. All right, why don't I run people through the stocks that we are going to be discussing through this next half hour. IDP Group is on the list. Quantum Graphite, Prophecy International One, Holdings, two. Liontown Resources, and Chalice Mining. I'm hearing Scott in my ear, so I think he's back, but let me carry on with the stock of the day, which is Challenger. So the company is holding an investor day, and it has published the update to the ASX. So again, when it comes to what we're hearing from Challenger, it says that it expects its bank sale to be complete in the first half of FY24. It says that Challenger Life will remain strongly capitalized and that it is expecting normalized pre-tax net profit to come in slightly above the midpoint of its previously offered guidance at between 485 and 535 million dollars. So the stock of the day is Challenger Financial. Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool, I'll start with you. It's um, look not a company that we talk about a lot, I think because 
sometimes it could be perceived as a bit boring, but it is <laughs> yes. uh, looking and sounding to me like it's mildly upgraded its profit outlook. It doesn't happen all the time in this environment. It doesn't, Nadine, and not for Challenger in particular, mate, which has had a really tough run over the last few years. The market likes it, shares up about 3%, so that's some sign that at least it's buying some friends or making some friends uh, when it comes to what it's trying or planning to do and, and the progress of that sale, as you say. This is a business I've got to say, we recommended it a while ago at Motley Fool Share Advisor. We ended up selling it or recommending members sell anyway um, because it was just a really significantly underperforming and consistently underperforming business. And it's a really interesting one because Every now and again, you get a business that on the surface should be a good company. These guys sell particularly their annuities. They sell to retirees in a, in a very volatile market. You would assume a business like this, and I'm going back multiple years now, should have been able to make a case to potentially nervous retirees, not someone watching this program probably, but people who've got a superannuation fund or or they're about to hit retirement, they hit retirement, they're not, wa- not wanting to take on the risk or the volatility that comes from investing in shares, want to turn their portfolio into that, that kind of annuity income stream. It should be, a, a, frankly, a, a slam dunk sell for a really big superannuation uh, pool. And for a lot of people who just don't want uh, the uncertainty of, of, of superannuation being invested in active stocks. So ordinarily, uh, you, you would have said, we did say at the time, this should be a business that can make every post a winner and really continue to grow along with the retiring boomers, growing superannuation balances. The market was made for Challenger. It's just never been able to really get out of its own way. It keeps tripping over its own feet. 13 times earnings, not particularly expensive. I mean, in a financial space, nor is it particularly cheap. Uh, but it's one that, as I said, should be able to do better than it is. Sometimes you just find those businesses that just, just simply, despite the fact the macro should suit them, don't seem to be able to really grasp it. That's challenger for me. I don't know I'd rush out to sell it at the current price. It's not particularly expensive. 3.9% dividend yield, 13 times earnings. It's it, yeah, it's pretty run of the mill. If you own it as part of a diversified income portfolio or something, I can kind of understand it. Um, but I wouldn't rush to buy it either. Okay, so Challenger is actually one of the best performers right now, but on a day that it's pretty lackluster out there, let's uh, let's just call a spade a spade. So Luke, Challenger Financial, I don't know if it fits into your style of investing, but if you did just want to steady as she goes income stream, do you see any attraction here? It's up by 3% today. Yeah, I see the attraction for Challenger's products, as Scott was talking about. The the annuities make a lot of sense, and it's a market that Challenger dominates. Um, but I completely agree with his point. It's it's a business that's never been able to capture the, the tailwinds available to it. Um, and, and part of the reason for that, to go back to your introduction, Dean, you said it's one that doesn't get a lot of chatter, not only on the call, but, but in financial media in general. And I think that's because it's actually a very, very complex business. I mean, I encourage viewers, if they have the time, flick open Challenger's Invested A presentation today. Uh, this is not a simple business to go through. You know, um, Financial analysts, you would sit down for a week or two to, to really pass through all the different segments and how they're moving, the capital requirements in each of them and sort of what they need to what they release. Because at the end of the day, this is a spread business. They, they promise their customers a certain pay out of their annuities and they have to earn a higher spread to, to, to generate income for their shareholders. Um, so look, for me, I actually agree with Scott's conclusion. I don't think it's a, a fantastic business. It is pretty safe. It's pretty defensive. Um, and admittedly, fair play to management. It's not what I looked at in a while. Um, if there was one thing I would have thought that would um, potentially be a, a huge headwind to a business like Challenger. It's rapidly rising um, bond uh, bond yields. And they've actually weathered the last couple of years pretty well and look like that's stabilising coming out the other side. So you're not paying a huge valuation, decent little dividend. I'd be happy for people to hold it. 
All right, so there you go, stock of the day, challenger. Let's get to the companies that have been nominated by you, our viewers, of course, and my daily reminder that this is information only. So this is not um, anything that you should do and go out and buy, hold, or sell based on this without doing your own research or getting a bit of financial advice. Okay, the first one on the list is IDP Group. IPG is the ticker code, not to be confused. So it services the electrical industry. I think you know this company, Luke. Yeah, it's a, a pretty recent float. So it's a, a electrical components sort of distributor and contractor. Um, now, that's a pretty boring business. And, and when you look at the numbers and, and the margins they earn, you can sort of see that. It's around 12% EBITDA margins and, you know, sort of mid-single-digit net margins. Uh, but obviously, big lumps of revenue from the work they do. And I suppose what's exciting the market right now, despite being, you know, what I would call a average to potentially below average type of business, um, there's very big tailwinds for what they're doing. I mean, we're hearing a lot about the electric electrification of everything and, and obviously vehicles being the the big um, the big driver of that in the middle of, uh, of everything. And so you open up I, um, IPD's or IPG's presentation um, and they're in the centre of all this. They've got um, distribution agreements with ABB, the, the Swiss giant for EV chargers. Um, they do data centers, substations, grid support, every the exact sort of business, the picks and shovels, I guess, of, of, of that sort of electrification of everything theme. IPG's in the middle of it all. Um, the valuation, 20 times earnings, that's not too bad. I mean, it, it, normally for this type of business, I would certainly want less, but I can actually see where the market is getting a bit of excitement from, given the tailwinds they've got the next few years quite good um, and more importantly i think you've got a pretty good management team behind this business only been listed for a few years so maybe in the fullness of time you know we'll wait and see how all that fleshes out but since they've come to market they've executed well made small uh, nice little small bolt-on acquisitions that, that strategically make a lot of sense haven't overpaid for them uh, being conservative with their guidance it looks like they're conservative moving into the future the only, you know, orange amber flag I saw was that after the half year report, which is quite strong, there has been some director selling and a, and a substantial holder selling. But we just flashed the share price chart up there, Nadine. I don't begrudge, you know, a very strong run for this business that that um, you know some some directors and major holders take some profits and they're still well aligned with the business. Um, so look, I, at the end of the day, I think the valuation is is up there where I, I wouldn't pin the ears back and go and buy something like this very strongly. It's certainly one where if you want some exposure to that sort of electrification of everything thing, this is probably the best way to play it on the ASX. Um, 20 times earnings isn't too steep, good management team. So I will say buy, but again, just it might be one that you can get a little bit cheaper in the future if there's a you know slightly weaker half or something like that, um, or just a, a general market turn down. If you get around that 15 times earnings, I think you're doing quite well. Interesting. Okay. So the electrification of every Thing. And this is a company, Scott, that's actually physically doing things instead of, you know, mm -hmm. digging something out of the ground to give to somebody else to then, you know, create something. Yep. You get my point. Is IDP a buy for you today? Uh, it's not. Let me get the headline out of the way, Nadine. I think it's a pretty solid hold for me. I don't love recent floats, I've got to say. We've seen way too many businesses list and then uh, some things go out of the woodwork. No allegation, no expectation. This is the case with this particular company, but I just don't. I, I'd, I'd rather wait at least 12 months before I buy anything that's recently listed, unless for some reason we have a very strong sense of its history. As a private company, we have a very strong sense that it's a business that uh, it, its past is going to be replicated in one way or another. 
in the future. So I, I, firstly, I'd put it on a, a, a hold at least because of that. Secondly, as Luke's already mentioned, he's done a great job, by the way, of summarizing the business. Thank Luke. It saves me having to, to do it. You know better than I do. Uh, but the opportunity to to look at a business at 26 times earnings and say, it's a new listing. I'm paying a premium price. Maybe it's a winner. Here's where I, I want our viewers just to be a little bit careful, Nadine, is you know, the electrification of everything, it's a wonderful tagline, right? It gets us talking. And we all think the trend is in that direction. I'm absolutely sure it is, by the way. Whether or not it's enough, I remember the 3D printing trend, remember the genomic sequencing trend, remember the insert trend here trend uh, over the last 10, 15, 20, 25 years. Plenty of viewers will remember some of those that came to fruition and plenty that didn't. And so is the trend real? Yes. Uh, are we going to move to electrification? I think uh, we all expect so, and frankly, I hope so, because it probably means uh, a better a better outcome for the planet and, and those of us who live on it. So those are all really positive things. Am I sure it's going to happen? I'm sure these guys are going to be the winner uh, in a very crowded field and increasingly crowded field. No, I'm not. And so I think to Luke's point, at a more reasonable price, you look at this business and say, okay, given the risks that maybe it's not the stock it, we think it is, given the risks of recent listing, you'd want to, I would want a, a very attractive price, which is a much more attractive price anyway. Now, down to 15-ish times, to Luke's point, would probably be where I'd be looking. I'd, I'd probably almost try steal an extra couple of points on the downside just to protect myself from some of those other things that we just talked about. Um, I don't see a strong reason to sell it. The business momentum looks pretty good. Um, it, it is in the right area. The trend is favoring it. That's You're always better going with the trend than swimming, trying to swim against it. So um, I, I don't just like the business. I probably wouldn't sell it at this price. But I have to say, if someone did give me some shares at 26 times earnings, I don't know I'd have enough confidence to hold on relative to other things in the market. So if you own it, you probably own it for the reasons of hopefully deep and, and, and thoughtful research, uh, a really good understanding of what it does and what its future looks like. Uh, I don't know whether today's price is attractive enough, though. Okay. I'll, I'll go hold almost because there's too much unknown about the business to necessarily say it's definitely a sell, but it's certainly not the top you know, 2024 stocks I'd be buying. Okay, thank you. Let's get on to the next on the list then. This is Quantum Graphite. A quantum Graphite for IRA. QGL is the ticker code. Again, this is a, a company that is talking about what it does fueling, you know, the renewable power grid, you know, fueling this, um, you know, the the future, the future when it comes to battery technology, et cetera. So would you be buying quantum graphite, Scott? No, uh, because this is a business with 10 years of consecutive losses and, and, and high hopes of, of what the future might look like. It's also a business that's increased the share count, get this, from 4.8 million shares in 2014 to 294 million shares by 2022. Wow. Uh, it tells you everything about this business. It, it's dramatically uh, diluting shareholders for very long periods of time desperately trying to find a way through into sales and profitability. At the moment, there's no sales, there's no profit. Uh, in fact, there's losses, as I've already talked about. Um, it, it's, a, it's a business that plenty of people are hoping can get something right. I think it is moving towards reasonable commercialization. So, I, you know, by definition, the longer it stays alive and does what it's doing, the closer it gets. Um, but if you've been an early shareholder, you've had a heap of dilution on the way through. I'm not sure that's over. I'm not sure that can get to strong commercialization. That share price chart says someone is concerned or convinced that they'll get there and, and good luck to them if that's the case. Um, and maybe there's people just playing the trend and playing the, the share price movement too, by the way. So uh, don't, don't, try and, don't assume too much from share price movement in terms of the reality versus sentiment and expectation. No, not for me. I, if I own this one, I'd sell it. Uh, not because I'm sure it can't be successful, but it's a lottery ticket for me and I'm not in the lottery ticket business. Okay. Lottery ticket territory, do you think, <laughs> um, Luke? 
Definitely. Um, you know, pure speculation was the note I had here, Nadine. Um, to Scott's <laughs> point, um, there's been plenty of dilution so far and there'll be more to come. Only a couple of mil in the bank, mm. still still burning cash. So wouldn't surprise me on this share price run. You don't see a you know, trading halt maybe in the next few weeks. Um, look, you know, what they're trying to do sounds ambitious and, and as Scott was talking about um, IPG before. They're, they're, they're doing things in that renewable energy and battery storage space where we wish them all the best as, as consumers and, and, and people on this planet, but as shareholders making investment decision, not for me. Um, look, if you're someone who wants to hold it, as, I don't begrudge anyone who wants to speculate, but just always be aware that's exactly what you're doing. There's no real fundamentals to, to back up the investment decision at this point in time. Okay, there you go. So that is for you, Ira. Take note on quantum graphite. Okay. Let's get to the next one on the list, and it is Prophecy International Holdings, PRO, picked by Nicholas, who says, how is this stock performing? I see that it has new contracts. So that would imply to me that he is not already a holder of Prophecy International Holdings. So then the question becomes, you know, would you be buying this one if you were not already a holder, Luke? Um, well, for disclosure, Nadine, I do hold it okay. with Meriwether Capital, so Thank I can you. confirm to Nick how it's performed. It's been very painful. <laughs> um, but, you know, we're, we're making the assessment about where we are today. Um, so Prophecy, it's a micro-cap technology company. You're, you're right in the eye of the storm for, for where the market doesn't want to be right now. Um, look, the, the business um, has pr- it's underperformed expectations from those lofty heights that you see on the chart there when it's up around a dollar. There's no doubt about that. But back here around 50-odd cents, um, 40 mil market cap, the business is about cash flow break even. And to me, I think that's very important when you're looking at these types of businesses now, these micro-cap businesses where there's balance sheet questions and we're just talking about QGL. Um, The market is very unforgiving of businesses where it knows that it's reliant on capital and needs to come back to the market. Prophecy with, you know, 13 mil cash in the bank and cash flow break even, there's no questions around that. So you're turning more to the outlook of the business. Growth has slowed down. It's it's now about 16% year on year, that recurring revenue growth. That was upwards of sort of 60 or 70% in FY21. But of course, it's very low churn to this business. So you've now got a platform in place. Um, and, and for me, 40 mil market cap, you know, 21, 22 mil ARR, 13 mil in the bank, cash flow break even. I think the downside's quite restricted here. Um, just as an aside as well, for Prophecy, their, their software solutions around sort of cyber security and also some, some customer analytics. And they're both areas that have tailwinds, you know, despite the, the slowdown in the growth you're seeing right now, I think there's reasons to be optimistic that it can pick up in the future. So it's one that I own. Um, I actually probably have bought it around these prices. So for the program, I'll say it's a buy. I haven't bought it recently, but, but definitely around these sort of mid 50 cents is where I have purchased in the past. Um, the business has only sort of done well since then. So I'll say it's a buy. Buy from Luke. What do you think, Scott? Prophecy International. I'm not quite as confident as Luke. Frankly, though, I would say, by the way, if you're listening to people talk, uh, there's there's both good and bad in people owning the shares they talk about. Firstly, you should expect, if they're a decent analyst, and Luke is, that they, they know the companies really, really well. So pay more attention to the people who own them versus those who don't when it comes to the fundamentals. Now, I'm not saying in Luke's case, by the way, but other times you will see people talking in their book because they just want to push the price up. Uh, so be mindful of that as well. But it's I want to make that point because I don't know the business anywhere near as well as Luke. So he's in the former camp, I'm absolutely sure, which is he knows the business well. He has conviction about the idea. Um, you know, listen to him before you listen to me in terms of the fundamentals of the business. 
I'm not as confident because, frankly, firstly, I don't know it quite so well. But what I would say to many viewers is don't confuse the share price action, uh, as Luke's already talked about, with the business performance. We have absolutely seen over the last 12 and 18 months, plenty of technology stocks in particular, but growth stocks in general, um, get absolutely smashed because the market stopped being optimistic about those things. And that it's, it's purely a change in sentiment. Now, yes, rates went up. Yes, some business are suffering cash burn. And yes, it's going to be harder to find new private equity money or venture capital money to back some of these things. So the market is right to take a slightly more jaundiced view of the reality of some of those lower quality companies. But to Luke's point, once you're at cash break even, you're in a very, very different place. And if you look at the share price fall, maybe it was too expensive back in the day, maybe it's too cheap now, maybe it's still too expensive now. But it's worth looking at these guys and saying, hang on, is as Luke's already done a beautiful summary, they're $40 million market up, $13 million in the bank and what, two times ARR. Now, I'm not a big fan of price to sales ratios as a general rule, as your listeners, are, sorry, your viewers will well know. Uh, but it is worth thinking about the idea of a business that is now at uh, cash flow breaking that has been growing revenues consistently over time, and ask yourself how much they would need to do to turn a cash flow break even into a, po- a positive cash flow of two, three, four million dollars. All of a sudden, you've got a growing business that might be on a P of ten in relatively short order, either in short term in the future or if it chose to but didn't because it's reinvesting. Those are, I mean, think we talked about zero recently. Um, zero is a great example of business that's really been smashed multiple times over the last. 10, 15 years, expectations-wise, even as the business itself continued to grow and grow and grow at a sales and gross margin line, reinvesting almost every dollar of gross margin back into growing the business. So you got to be really careful. I really would say to people, if you're looking around, I think there's some, going to be some great values. We will look back in a year's time at May 2023 and say, look at all those tech stocks that we ignored because the share price was down and we kind of lost appetite for it. Look what they've done since as businesses. Maybe as stocks, we don't know yet, but that's the kind of business you're looking for. So uh, I'm not sure Prophecy is a buy. I don't know it quite well enough to pay um, the kind of current price it's asking based on the reported level of, of sales, cash flow, and earnings, but I wouldn't sell it at all. I think it's one of those companies, if you put a basket of Prophecy like businesses together, um, those cash flow positive or break even businesses beaten down by the market, unloved, unappreciated. I have a strong suspicion you do very, very well over the next two or three years. Okay, thank you. Let's get on to the next on the list um, because we're there. And <laughs> this is for less Liontown Resources. I mean, for no other reason, but that's what we're all here to do. LTR is the ticker code. I don't have any context from Les, but look, these small cap lithium miners are still continuing to go strong uh, for the most part, Scott. There's a lot of enthusiasm still around the lithium space. You know, yeah. it's a supply demand equation, but is it also sort of a hype? entering the equation when it comes to some of these smaller companies? Yeah, you've read my mind. I think that's exactly what's going on. I'm not going to say that the hype isn't justified. What I would say right now is it is hype. In other words, I don't think there's enough evidence to suggest that you can pay today's prices for Liontown Resources with a strong, justified level of confidence, not just a, you know, three beers in and and, and, plenty of Dutch courage, but genuinely justified confidence to say, I think this price is a good price for this business because in five years' time, and then complete that sentence. Now, you can make up an answer, but can you justify with confidence, with demonstrable evidence? the scenario you think is likely to play out. I don't think you can. And I think that is almost the definition of hype is belief in the story over the absence of evidence. Doesn't mean they can't do well. Uh, we talked about prophecy before. We talked about afterpay in the past. If you bought those shares and, and sold them at exactly the right time, you look like a genius. Whether you're lucky or smart or good or somewhere in between is open for question. Doesn't mean share prices can't go up. So I have no view 
on what the share price itself might do because it is absolutely sentiment that's doing this this work right now. Um, it's almost the reverse of prophecy, right? Prophecy's got to break even. It's got customers. It's breaking. You got cash flow break even. And the market's hating it right now. Uh, lithium can't find, well, other than me probably, uh, you, you can't find anyone who doesn't love lithium right now. It's just so exciting share price-wise. Everyone wants to be there. If you're not there, you look silly. Um, those things will remain true for as long as the market believes it. I can't find a justifiable reason to buy Lion Town. What's the price of lithium going to be in five years' time? What are the commercial margins? What are the volume outputs? How much dilution is done in the meantime? Uh, those questions are unanswerable. And so you are, you are the, you just, it's a bet. It's a, it's a gamble. You're simply saying, I hope, I think, I believe, maybe possibly this might be true in the future. Knock yourself out. If that's your investing style, go for it. Um, I don't think you can use the fundamentals to invest in it, even an optimistic version of fundamentals, uh, with any justification. Uh, so I, I don't think you can make a case for fundamentals-based investment in lithium. I would ignore uh, Lion Town. If I owned it, I'd sell the shares and put money somewhere else. So it is a sell. Interesting. And that's even, yes. I mean, Luke, don't forget, we've got this Arbor um, offer on the table for Lion Town. It obviously sees some value in mm. the company and its assets. Yeah, look, I, I agree with all of Scott's points on lithium in general um, and, and would apply those thoughts across the, the wider sector. For Liontown specifically, I think that is the one thing, you, you know, that you have to take into consideration with the share price today. Um, I, I went back and read that announcement. So Albemarle approached the, the board with an offer for $2.50, which was rejected by the board. Um, and they also disclosed in that announcement that Albemarle had approached them previously, a few months earlier, at both $2.20 and $2.30. So it actually, you know, when I look at the share price at $2.75, I can actually see some rationality, not so much on the lithium price and the market and the hype around that, as Scott was talking about, but rationality that you've got um, potentially an irrational competitor willing to pay um, quite a large price for this asset. And, and you know, that's indicated by the bids that they've put forward. Um, look, I, I think it's a bit of a tricky one at the minute. If you own Lion Town, particularly if you've owned it for a while and had a good run, um, it, it may be worthwhile taking some profits at these levels because the share price today um, is very much a binary outcome on this takeover. The market is predicting a higher price to come through, potentially even um, competitive, uh, competitive bids to come through. Mm. If that doesn't happen, you'll see the share price collapse back down probably to where it was before these bids, maybe even a little bit lower because Lion Town's held up in the face of many of their peers in the lithium space um, having a bit of weakness over the last few few weeks and months. So from that point of view, I, I wouldn't be rushing into putting new money because you know, you're, you're playing the M&A activity space, which is not something I do. If you've been there and you've had this strong run and the bid's on the table, um, admittedly the board's rejected it, um, you might want to take profits at these levels. Uh, you know, Again, if you're someone on the sidelines, that whole lithium space in general, I, I actually agree with Scott's um, you know, points before on the lithium space and, and tying it to effectively hype in, in a lot of ways. Lithium and AI, but we won't go down that rabbit hole right now. We'll see if we can touch upon it a little bit later on the list. All right, so let's just stick with the theme in resources, and that's chalice mining. This is for Matthew. Um, so, Luke, let me give you a bit of the background. We'll start with you saying, has an SPP open currently as a strategy for retail investors? Is it worth participating in Explorer RP, uh, SPPs, sorry, or to just be patient and buy at opportune moments in the stock price? I love talking strategy. Um, mm. Yeah, what are your thoughts, Luke? I know that the resources isn't necessarily where you invest, but thinking about these SPPs when they come up, which they often do in smaller companies as well, what do you do? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. So for, for SPPs in general, look, it, it depends on the business and the price. And um, in particular, I guess you often get a time arbitrage with an SPP where the share price will be trading in the meantime, and you'll have a, you know, a period to watch that, see how it trades. And, and make the decision before you want to um, lodge your, your application for the SPP. Um, now, I probably should should have went and looked what price the SPP was at, Nadine. That would make for a much better segment right now. Um, <laughs> but look at that share price there. It looks like it's come off a little bit. There's a fair chance it's probably trading below the SPP price. For the benefit you've got as, as, a, as a retail holder who, who can um, you know, take place in these, in these placements is let this one go through to the keeper. Um, you know, if, if it's at a price lower than, you know, if it's a $6.80 SPP, just picking a number, current share price $7.11, you know, you can wait up until the last minute before lodging. So I think they're a fantastic vehicle for retail holders and, of course, don't pay any brokerage on them. But it depends on the share and the share price and, and, and your long-term conviction in the business. Um, so that's that's the SPP side. I think it's a really good question there from um, from Matt. Um, Chalice itself, look, it's, this is a really tricky one for me, Nadine, because generally, you know, I don't really play in the mining space. When these questions come up on, on the call, I'll always prefer the producers. And I've actually said bye to a few producers when they look interesting at, at the right time. Um, this is a, a pre-production business, but 2.7 bill market cap. Um, and they clearly have, though, a fantastic resource in the ground. Um, looking at the presentation that management's got out, I think they're positioning this resource not to bring it through to production, but to try and sell it to someone. Um, and, and by the looks of similar transactions in that nickel space, you know, in Australia with BHP picking up Oz Minerals a few years ago, uh, sorry, a few months ago, um, you know, I suspect that something gets done here, whether it's at a price the board wants, we'll wait and see. But I think it makes a lot of sense that um, they're looking to flip the asset and, and you know, uh, explore other regions and, and bring more assets to market. So, um I would hold the business. I don't know well enough to say someone to, to buy, hold and buy or sell, to be honest. Um, but it looks like you've got a pretty good management team in place that know what they're doing and a really clear you know, plan around how they want to unlock value for shareholders. Not so much bringing these mines to production, but um, drilling them, exploring them, scoping them out, and then moving them on to those companies that have the balance sheets to actually go and you know uh, build the mines and, and bring them through to production. So I would, I would hold Chalice and um, just check the SPP price on, on that one. I think $7.30 might be it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there you go. That's the answer to that. But on Chalice, the one thing that always sticks out to me is people talking up the, um, the, the potential that it has because it is one of its um, projects is located so close to Perth, which is very unusual in the precious mm. metal space. Um, Scott, what do you think of Chalice? I mean, do you know much about it? Would you be buying it? Would you be participating in the SPP? Mm. Uh, let me do the last first. Lucas beautifully picked it, despite not having done the work. He's, he's absolutely nailed it. <laughs> so the price was above the SPP offer price for a while. Now it's below. Uh, and speaking of strategy, uh, buying through SPP for a, a, a higher price you can buy in the market is generally a really, really, really bad idea. Uh, if I offered you $7.09 on the market or $7.30 via the SPP, you probably should take the $7.09. Um, the difference might be if you if the brokerage was meaningful, but that sort of gap in the share price, unlikely that it would be enough to offset any brokerage costs in, in making that trade. So if you liked it, you'd be buying on market, you wouldn't be buying through the SPP. I will say that often when the SPP fails, there's a question for investors about how much money the company needed from the SPP and whether or not the inability to get that money is going to change the future. They raised $70 million from institutions 
and then launch the SPP on the back of that. It's unlikely the SPP is material in terms of their ability to go forward with their plans or not. But just be mindful, there may be a chance they have to raise or choose to raise additional capital, maybe from Instos, maybe somewhere else, if the SPP falls over as it should. Now, generally speaking, again, speaking of strategy, SPPs are often a bit of a sop to retail investors. That I don't, I don't love... I like, they're a great vehicle, as Luke said, uh, but they tend to be, hey, we're raising a lot of money from our preferred institutional clients, and because we feel like we have to, we'll, we'll give the rest of you guys a chance to buy some shares. You know, you can thank us later. Um, so it's, it's, it's a bit of an afterthought for many companies in this space doing that sort of stuff, um, and it's not great for, for retail investors, but uh, we don't get the, the say often on, on what companies do and how they raise that capital, but just be mindful of that. Uh, Chalice itself... I don't love resources, as you know, Dean, as you viewers well know. But if I'm going to play, I think gold and copper are probably two of the more understandable, um, uh, estimable uh, businesses out there. Gold, obviously, because of its long-term uh, existence as a, as a precious metal, as a store of value, as something that we kind of believe we have a reasonable handle on what the market will pay for it, compared to lithium, where no one knows what's going on, or oil, where OPEC decides at a whim whether they're going to increase or decrease production and therefore impacting the price. Uh, copper, similarly, I saw some headlines over the over the weekend that copper was going to become the new, uh, you know, uh, primary metal around the world because of its role in electrification. Um, Dr. Copper, as they call it, et cetera, et cetera. It's a bit of a cliche, but uh, it, is, it is very popular and very important. So those two are probably, if I'm going to move into that space or consider it, uh, they're two good places to go. I don't have a strong view on Chalice's operational uh, success or otherwise. I am mindful whenever ever anyone's raising money, it tells you a little bit about their current balance sheet circumstance and the fact they think they need to or want to raise that cash. Now, full credit to them, by the way, they raise at a very high price. So if the price keeps falling, it'll be one for one for management and not one for the new new purchases. Uh, but it does just it is a reminder of of how they're funding themselves or choosing to fund themselves. Just keep that in mind as well. I, I don't love resources generally. I don't have a lot of reason to, to dislike Chalice in itself, other than um, losses have continued to widen recently for a two point eight billion dollar company. You've got to ask yourself whether you're comfortable with that. I don't think I would be. Um, again, buy, hold, sell, hard. There's no strong reason to get rid of these things. Not obviously an underperformer or obviously a bad business. That being said, there's nothing to suggest you should buy it. If that kind of drops me in the middle of hold, then so be it. I guess I'll call it a hold. I wouldn't own it, though. If you gave me the challenge shares, I'd sell them and buy something else that I had more confidence in. Uh, but for the sake of a single stock review, let's call Okay, thank you guys, we got there in the end. And look, have a bit of a break. I'll just run us through what we've learned so far. So for the stock of the day, which was Challenger, it is a hold from both of my guests. Look, it is defensive, um, but both of them say it just hasn't been able to capture the upside potential that it, it should have been able to. From a business um, point of view, there is attraction for its products, but both of them call it a hold. IDP Group, it's a buy for Luke. He says that it's got good management, little bit of director selling. He can understand it. The share price has popped. It is a recent IPO, but he he, he reckons you could potentially get it cheaper, but uh, he's considers it a buy. It's a hold for Scott. Pretty solid company, but he doesn't really love new floats. He'd be waiting to get a bit more history behind it. And he doesn't sort of buy into the whole electrification of everything as being a reason why you'd be invested in anything. Uh, Quantum Graphite was a hard no from both of my guests. Prophecy International, again, a little bit of disagreement here. It's a buy from Luke. He knows it well. He's invested in it. Admits that it's been a bit painful. He has bought it around these levels, mid 50 cent level. Um, so look, it's a cash 
flow, break-even company. He reckons there is growth to come. And uh, look, Scott sees some of the attraction in Prophecy International. He reckons that if you've got a longer-term view, there's probably quite a bit of money to be made in some of these beaten-down cash flow positive companies listed, but he can only give it a hold right now. Liontown Resources, it is a sell for Scott, even with that bid for Albemarle and the table. If you've made money, why wouldn't you take profits? It's take profits if you can for Luke as well. Um, but he does recognize that bid being on the table. Um, you know, both of them say there is a lot of hype around the smaller end of the lithium space right now. Those companies that aren't producing chalice mining, you just heard what they said and why it's a hold from both of my guests. We are almost looking to refresh this, uh, yeah, the allocation for the Osbiz portfolio. The investment committee meets shortly. So we will be updating. Actually, the new episode will go live on Tuesday. It's always RBA day, first Tuesday of the month. There's a snapshot of what the portfolio looks like right now. Uh, it's returned about 9.2% on a cumulative return basis since its inception. So what happens? You send your requests here. We decide whether it's a buy, hold, or sell. If it's a double buy, so both guests agree it's a buy, it then gets put to the investment committee. Um, likewise, if both guests call something that's already in there a sell, I think it's worthy for the investment to committee to consider as well whether they would be getting out of the company. So there you go. That's the update on our on our Ausbiz portfolio. Let's get to the companies that we will be reviewing in this next half hour of the program. We'll have to pick up the pace a bit. Clinivelle Pharmaceuticals, Zimplatz Holdings, which I've never heard of before, I don't think. Kogan West Farmers holding its strategy day to day and Lark Distilling. Let's get cracking, shall we guys? Clinivelle Pharmaceuticals picked by Luke. Let's send it to Luke. Look, this is a company that, you know, they're very good communicators in that I always see a lot of press releases. They've been on Osbiz quite a few times. They've got uh, a Sines product that they sell into different markets. I've got to admit, I'm still, still getting my head around this one. How about you, Luke? It's always tricky, these biofarmers, Nadine. Um, and I think we have to accept that as investors, unless you're someone who's trained in the space. Um, you know, the actual science of what's going on will often elude us. But we can obviously fall back to, to the operating performance of, of the businesses. And, and full credit to Clinubel. They do a fantastic job um, of, of, you know, producing revenue and, and profits and controlling costs and doing all the things you want to see them do as a business, even if the exact science of, of their products you know may, may elude us at times um you know from from my um you know layman's understanding the senes product is targeting skin conditions um i think the first use of the product was in a extremely rare skin condition where where people reacted to, to direct sunlight but they've been able to reformulate a little bit and target some other conditions including um the um the skin conditions where people get the the white patches on on their skin uh, the, the the pigmentation come through um and and that's been a treatment but they're hoping to turn it into also a cosmetic solution over time so you know it's, it's sort of exactly what you want to see from these styles of businesses they've, they've proven they've able to to, be, to bring one product to market but now to um you know reformulate that product or you know brother and sister products alongside it and bring them to market as well commercialize them and, and, and distribute so you look at the the financial numbers um you know 20 mil in cash generation for the half it's profitable 140 mil cash in the bank 
It's not cheap. It's about 40 times earnings if I'm looking forward there and assuming the second half looks a bit like the first half. Um, we're in an environment where, you know, we used to pay 40 times earnings without without too much thought. I mean, we paid 40 times sales for some businesses. In this current market, you know, 40 times earnings is, is getting right up there. But what I was so impressed by just looking at the last half result was um, very solid revenue growth and from a um, – absolute dollar figure. It was about $7 million of, of revenue was, was added um, year on year, uh, but but almost costs were almost exactly flat. So that whole $7 million fell down to the operating profit level. They obviously lose a little bit in, in interest and tax, but operating profit, to see that sort of leverage, it's, mm-hmm. it's just amazing to see in a business and it's what you'd expect from a, from a biopharma like this. So look, long story short, I think, um, go back to what I said about IPG Group. I think it's almost certainly a hold. The valuation is not one where I'm rushing out and pinning my ears back and, and getting a full allocation to a stock like this. But if you're someone who wants a bit of exposure to biotech and really the only other way to play it on the, on you know decently on the ASX is something like CSL, um, this is the sort of stock I think even at 40 times earnings, how quickly that multiple can come down with the operating leverage. I, I can see why the market's excited and willing to pay up for it. So I'll, I'll say buy, but but you know slowly and and, and again. Like IPG, maybe wait for pullbacks and try and get a little bit cheaper. Um, but but definitely hold. And and I really respect what management's done here, not just scientifically, but but operationally, building a real business behind uh, their, their key drug. Thank you. All right, Scott, what's your view on Clinivel? Can we keep it a little bit shorter? I just want to reserve a little bit of time for later in the program. Oh, okay, fine then. Just because you asked nicely, uh, let, let me let me uh, say I think Luke's done a beautiful job summarising the business, but we are, I have a very opposite conclusion, which is I don't want to pay a billion dollars for a company that's doing twenty million dollars in profit or cash flow. Now he's right about the, the the cash generation, and this is absolutely if you get the right point in the upswing when all the costs have been laid out and all you do is then collect the cash, it can be remarkably profitable. Bearing in mind you've generally got a patent cliff at some point, and you're reinvesting R and D into the next big thing, which either will be great, terrible, or somewhere in between. Um, and even the, the complexity of the, uh, Lucy did a great job, of, by the way, describing the, the, the treatments that they're working on and the, and the drugs they have. Uh, he's done a better job than me of understanding it. If you don't have an edge as an investor, I don't reckon you've got uh, a particularly good reason to go and buy these shares. Could it do well? Yes. Do I have an objective way to know whether that's going to be true? I don't think I do. And, and so you can absolutely say, look, to Luke's point, management's done a great job. The results have been fantastic. Uh, they're doing everything right. Are they more likely to continue to than not? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, can I work out how much to pay for that based on what the trajectory of sales and profit might look like? Personally, I can't get to that point myself. So um, I, I, it's a very pretty penny to pay. Keeping it short, Nadine, it's a sell for me. Uh, I just I don't have a, the required degree of confidence or, or expertise in that space to add my own view and to believe the market's wrong enough that I think I'm going to beat the market from here by buying the shares at the current price. Thank you, because you're looking for an advantage in the market. All right, let's go to Zimplatz Holdings. Yeah. From what I can see, it's a miner in Zimbabwe, so a platinum mining company in Zimbabwe, so perhaps a holding company here in Sydney. Uh, would you be investing? I mean, sovereign risk comes to mind, uh, bigger players in the space, Scott, am I wrong? Nope, you're not wrong at all, Nadine. Uh, you've got you've got a foreign jurisdiction in general, and you've got sovereign risk laid on top of that specifically about Zimbabwe. Zimplatz, Zimbabwe Platinum, uh, at least they've been pretty direct with the, the name of the company, which I always appreciate. Uh, what is going to happen to the platinum price? What does the volume look like? What do the operating costs look like? Uh, what is what is the future for this business? In an understandable and, and a, again, a justified confidence uh, that you're looking for from an investment thesis. Why do I believe that I know with any degree of confidence 
the future is going to look like X, Y, or Z. Uh, very, very hard to do that. Um, look, they're trading on five times earnings. If you are going to, be, if you are going to take a, a positive view on this, um, you may be playing a cyclical game or a, you know, buy, buy beaten down miners and hope that with some sort of PE expansion and or earnings growth, you get paid for it. That's very possible here. But you've got to have a, a reasonable view on all of those things, including, if I didn't say that already, the platinum price itself. Um, that's a very big combination of ifs to throw together to try and find a market-beating investment case. So again, in the vein of keeping it short, um, I have no justify, justification for buying these shares at today's price. Again, no justification to sell because I don't hate it. There's nothing, there's nothing, there's no obvious red flags for me. Um, but if you don't know, you'll love it. There's no point hoping, holding it just in case. So I, I would sell and put the money somewhere else. Okay, there you go. What do you think, Luke? Zimplatz Holdings. Yeah, I agree with that, Nadine. I, I don't know it well enough to tell someone to buy or sell, but it's a pretty easy hold. The value, As Scott said, the valuation, about five or six times earnings. You're also getting a very healthy dividend in the background, about 12%, and that's exactly what you want to see. Um, look, the only other thing I'm going to notice, 87% owned by a South African business. So, you know, be aware that you're effectively just sitting alongside someone else. And there's a few companies like that on the ASX. We've got um, big, big majority international ownership, and you're almost at the mercy of what they want to do. Um, but that being said, the fact they're paying out some some pretty healthy dividends, I think, is a, a sign that you're not being, um, you know, you're not being abused as, as a minority shareholder in a stock like this. I, I think you're, you're doing okay. So I would say hold, um, and, and, and maybe it's one to look at if you're comfortable with that sort of sovereign risk. Got it. Thank you. Okay, let's get to uh, the next on the list. This is for Angela. She says that she would like a perspective on Kogan and West Farmers. Is the market feeling warmer about these two consumer-exposed stocks? Well, I would think that these are very different consumer-exposed <laughs> stocks. So it's sort of hard to compare apples to apples, guys. Am I right, Luke, with Kogan and West Farmers? Yeah, I was going to make that point, Nadine. I mean, they'll, they'll get lumped into consumer discretionary from an uh, industry sector point of view, uh, but but very, very different. And, and West Farmers, to me, are a conglomerate um, right now just because Bunnings is such an unbelievable business, makes up about half of their earnings. That's why it gets put into consumer discretionary. Um, but I don't think West Farmers are necessarily, um, you know, uh, tied to, to the ideas of just being a consumer discretionary company. Um, they're a business that simply has return on capital uh, thresholds and they'll go and put their capital wherever they think they can get the best use over a, a medium longer term view. So uh, I'll start I've started with West Farmers there, but to me that's you know always a comfortable buy slash hold for a defensive investor. Um, I think you're investing alongside some of the best capital allocators in the country. Um, turn to Kogan now. Kogan's not one of ever really loved and, and and i feel like kogan you know when when you see the information presented to you as an investor it's always presented in the best possible light with someone like kogan they often you know will, will not misrepresent numbers but they'll cherry pick numbers or leave out some some negative news and even in the last update you know the focus was very much on the cash generation of the business which Fair play to them, they generate some solid cash. That was just because they wound down a lot of their inventory. And, and to me, when I look at, well, what's the sustainability of the business look like moving forward, the, the big red alarm that went off was that at a, at a top line level, their sales went back by 33% on last year. Um, so yes, you've had the one-off sort of tailwind of winding down your inventory 
and bringing some cash into the business as you unlock that working capital. But what's that mean moving forward? It's, it's not, you can't do it again. You, you can't wind your inventory back from 140 to, to 70 mil again this year, or else you've got no, no inventory. So, you know, Kogan for me, again, they were, they were trumpeting some adjusted EBITDA profitability. They didn't get into exactly what those adjustments were, but they did disclose that non-adjusted, they actually lost money. Um, I, despite that share price run, I, I struggle to get excited about Kogan and I would probably put a sell on the business. Um, I, I definitely, it's not the sort of stock where I'm running out to buy it on unaudited trading updates. With something like Kogan, I always want to see what the actual numbers are before I get too enthused about the, the trajectory of where the business is going. So I'll say I'll say sell on Kogan and, and a buy slash hold on Wes Farmers. Mm. Um, hold for normal investors and maybe, maybe still a buy for just those ultra defensive dividend investors. I think, I think you can always buy West Farmers. Yeah. Okay. Um, look, Scott, a lot in there, but let's start mm. with West Farmers because it was holding its strategy day to day. I did a control F to search lithium because lithium keeps coming up when I talk to people about West Farmers, not so much yep. Bunnings. Like I'm not saying that people discount the Bunnings business or its exposure mm-hmm. to Priceline mm-hmm. or anything at all, but it's, it's that conglomerate nature and what it can bring in the future. And frankly, mate, I think that's, uh, you know, I, I actually really like West Farmers. And I have to say, while everyone's talking about lithium and West Farmers, it probably tells you everything about lithium and not something about West Farmers, uh, the view that people have and uh, what they're looking for. And if you're, buying, if you're buying West Farmers for lithium exposure, good luck to you because it's, you know, look, it might be meaningful at some point. I'm not even saying it'll necessarily go badly, just that this is a massive conglomerate business, as you've mentioned, and Luke's already mentioned, um, you know, lithium's part of its business, sure, and they seem positive. And that's, frankly, the, be- the best thing going for lithium is West Farmers saying we think it's worth investing in. Uh, but it's not the West Farmers investment story. Um, Luke already mentioned a lot of the, the good stuff about West Farmers. Bunnings is the best retail business in the country by a country mile, according in, in my view. Um, it is the returns on equity are phenomenal. The growth there has been extraordinary. The growth still to come, I think, will be continue to be to be really impressive. I just really like the business. A very very strong company. Um, I love its conglomerate structure. Look, conglomerate's got a really bad name. in The seventies and eighties, uh, we had people buying uh, shares in, in, in you know, sorry, companies buying you know, Stanley Wine. A hot were bought by Heinz at some point because I thought they needed to be in the wine business. Conglomerates really got out of control for a long period. What I like about the company moving forward is it's a very everything's for sale, everything's available for purchase. They're a conglomerate that don't really care what the other Yeah, we're having uh, a bit of audio issues with you, Scott. Um, so so you know, I don't audio. There you go. Um, so West Farmers, buy, hold, or sell today. Sorry. That's all right. Let's go with a buy for West Farmers today. Buy for West Farmers and then Kogan. Uh, Kogan is also a buy for me. I like the business very much. Really? Uh, I think its long-term future is attractive. I think the profit growth will come if sales growth continues. The sales growth, sales meaningfully uh, recently, sorry, has been because of a recovery or, or fallback from a big, big, big COVID bump. By the way, the, the, the P&L, the balance sheet got the industry wrong as well. Long term, I think growth continues. I think that becomes profitable growth. I think they're a good buy at today's price. Okay, interesting to hear you say bye bye, Kogan. All right, let's get to Lucky last on the list. Just enough time to cover Lark Distilling. So I couldn't help but note in the fin yesterday, there was a bit of a profile piece on the company and its new CEO. We don't need to talk about what happened with the previous CEO, but it was all a bit of a drama. Um, What I thought was interesting in that interview is the CEO, and I'm sorry, his name escapes me, said that. The demand for you know higher end liquor and alcohol products and whiskey could be uh, pretty resilient through a consumer spending downturn. 
Um, what about you, Luke? Do you still raise a toast, have a bit of a tipple? <laughs> uh, I do, Nadine. Whiskey, not my thing, but um, <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that sentiment. And look, you've seen that. Look at look at the results of um, like LVMH overseas. That the luxury brands have surprisingly held up really strong. Um, there's been a big divergence between luxury and, and non-luxury, not just retail, but but travel and, and a few other spaces as well. Um, uh, yeah, look, you touched on the problems that Lark had a few years ago, and I think you've seen um, uh, Laura McBain came in as an interim CEO and, and uh, Satya Sharma, I think, is the new um, executive. There's work to be done with this business. Um, it's not a complete turnaround. It, it's probably more market perception that the share price looks like that rather than the fundamental business. Um, the, the one thing I would say is that inherently this is an an exceptionally tough business. Just just think through for a second how the working capital of this business works. Um, you spend a, a good lump of money up front to put whiskey into barrels, and then you have to wait 7, 10, 15 years, depending on what you want to uh, get back out, before you actually recognize revenue and cash and, and do it all again. So you know, probably the toughest working capital cycle of, of, of any business, even longer than some of you know the other agriculture type stocks. Um, and so what becomes exceptionally important with a stock like this is that while the whiskey's in those barrels, the, the value is continually increasing. And that's what Lark was doing really well back in 2021. They, they were really highlighting at the time is that because they were doing such a good job developing their brand and developing the premiumness of their brand, while that whiskey was just sitting in barrels and maturing, they were able to continually sell it for more or would, would be able to sell it for more and more as their brand was increasing and people were willing to pay more for it. So when I looked at the update from 28th of April, I do have here in front of me, the one thing I sort of found a bit of an orange flag with this business is they didn't really talk about the the um, the net sales value of, of the whiskey in the barrels. They talked about the absolute number, the leaders they have under maturation. But I think the most important metric for this business is is what what dollars will you get when that whiskey is ready to be produced, and is that going up? Are you able to continually grow that brand and grow the luxury aspect of it? So. Um, look, I would I would probably hold it if you're there. You've been beaten down a long way, particularly if you've held it for a while. For new money, I'd just sit on the sidelines and wait until you see that sort of theme come back into the stock where the, the business is showing you that they're growing the value of the brand, which inherently grows the value of those assets they've got you know, sitting on the sidelines waiting to mature. So um, a long-winded hold for me, Nadine, on, on something like a lark. Okay. A hold. There you go. Uh, Scott, what do you think about Lark Distilling? Oh, my goodness. Lark <laughs> Distilling. I was trying to see who we were asking this for, and this is for Andrew. Nice. I, I think I had an early tip on the Dean, but I, I would not <laughs> suggest that. Uh, I've, 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 speaking of, I've been known to try some Lark. It's actually a very nice whiskey, by the way. Uh, this is a look, Luke's done a great job of summarizing the company. It's a scale game for me. Now, price helps. We've seen Treasury shares I own, by the way, uh, go from this mass to mass market to prestige at higher price. And they've done a really good job doing it. There's still work to be done. But that transition, they'd be in a much, much worse place. Back in the old South Corp wines, for your older viewers who remember South Corp, um, it was just an awful business. It was some good brands, massively, massively underutilized. So like selling high price liquor is a good strategy, but it's going to come down to scale. They're not there yet. They've got a lot of work to do to get to that point. Um, Luke's already talked about some of the 
some of the metrics that are important when you're thinking about this business, but it's going to have to be meaningfully bigger in my view. This is a very, very capital intensive business. You've got to put whiskey down, you leave it for years. In theory, as it goes up the price chain, that's a positive, but it means you've got to keep whiskey for longer and sell five and then eight and then 10 and then 12 and 15 year old whiskeys at some point. So it's, it's a very, very capital intensive business. The brand has got to do a lot of heavy lifting and you've got to get a lot more people drinking it. I'm not sure whether the, the inventory they have gets them there. And this is always the challenge. If you want to sell more whiskey in five years' time, you've got to hold more now. If you hold more now, you better sell it because you're, you're wearing the cost for the next half decade. Uh, I don't hate the business. I want it to be successful, uh, not only because I, I, I like occasionally a, a drop of luck, um, but it, there, there's a lot of work to be done. It's too risky for me for now, but I do like consumer branded businesses. I do like what they're doing. I'm absolutely going to keep an eye on it. So it's not a sell, it's a hold for me. At some point, I hope to come back to you with a, with a buy, if and when um, they, they show the business model is really starting to pump out some some really good margins and some really good bottom line profit, but they're not there yet. So okay. All right. Hold for Lark Distilling. We have made it in time. All right, guys, <laughs> let's just quickly review what we've learned. Clinuvel Pharmaceuticals, it is a sell for... For, um, for Scott, he says he just can't work out what to pay for companies like this. But it's a buy for Luke if you would like exposure to the biopharma space. But, you know, you really need to understand it. You can also probably wait for a pullback. But he does see the attraction. No reason to buy Zimplatz holding. But also no reason to sell if you're already in it. So it's a hold for both of the guests. Kogan is a buy for Scott. You just heard why. Um well, it was a little bit touchy on the audio, but yeah, he does like the future. He is looking at sales growth. It's a bit of a recovery story, but Luke's never loved it. He's just never liked it. His opinion hasn't changed. West Farmers, it's a buy for Scott. Best retail operations in the country, bar none in Bunnings. And it's a buy slash hold, you know, really buy for retail investors when it comes to defensive holding. And Lark Distilling, a hold for both of my guests. And you just heard why. Huge thank you to Luke Winchester from Merriweather Capital, as always. Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. Guys, wonderful to see you both. And uh, we look forward to the next time. I thought that made quite a good little combo there. So I hope you enjoyed it as well. It was lots of fun. Thank you, guys. Okay, see you guys. Have a good one. And uh, look, keep those requests coming in. We'll keep putting them to our expert guests. Don't go anywhere now. We'll be returning to the SIA, the SIAA conference that's being held in Sydney this afternoon when we return and throughout this afternoon. Stay with us. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.